0: And now on Drama on One, In the Wings, where theatre practitioners talk about their work on stage and on air. This episode features the voices of actors Stephen Brennan, Brian Murray, Janet Moran, Venetia Bowe and Peter Gaynor. Talking about The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell, which is next week's Drama on One.
1: My name is Stephen Brennan. I play the part of Jack in The Wedding Anniversary.
0: Hello, my name is Janet Moran and I'm playing Deirdre in The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell. Uh, my name is Brian Murray.
2: My name is Peter Gaynor. I'm playing uh, Malcolm in this play, who is the the therapist.
3: My name is Venetia Bowe. I play Tracy in The Wedding Anniversary. Uh,
1: this isn't the first Bernard Farrell play I've done a long, long time ago in possibly the 80s, I did a a play of Bernard's in the Abbey Theatre called Canaries, in which I played a Spanish waiter. I've subsequently done a couple of his plays. I know I did one in The Gate called Stella by Starlight, which was very successful, and another one called Many Happy Returns. So, uh, as you might expect with Bernard, a lot of the plays have happy in the title.
0: Deirdre is a long-suffering wife, by all accounts. but well, she's married to Stephen Brennan. <laughs> so that's tough enough, I'd say, for anyone. Um, and she's having to manage these uh, very untoward anniversary specials that he surprises her with every year.
4: I play Johnny. Uh, he's a great man, Johnny, you know. He's quiet, a nice, quiet, demure chap, never says a word. I'm joking. <laughs> it's a joy to play, actually. It gives an actor like Brian Murray an opportunity to go over the top, which he does, anyways, and kind of go for it. Do, do you know what I mean? You just take a deep breath and you go, "Hey, this is great."
2: Well, it's very funny and it's very good-natured and it's got a lot of positive energy in it. Um, in, a, in a cynical time and a, a bit of a negative time, it's 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 got people with smiles on their faces.
3: Tracy is a ground crew coordinator. And she is highly efficient. She is all go. She has no time for messing around. Um, verging on the bossy side, but, you know, with good intentions at the back of it. And she likes to get her job done smoothly and, you you know try to avoid panic and any complications like that
1: Bernard's able to um, give you the dialogue of the everyday man the everyday person the people you mightn't think there's anything special about but find the little bit of comedy that's in everybody's life and he's he manages to kind of encapsulate and crystallise that and he's got a great ear for just simple comedy it's not sophisticated it's not complicated it's just people being people and being silly (laughs)
0: She's a very patient woman, but she's obviously got a rich inner life and a rich secret life as well that uh, maybe provokes some of his his own uh, bad behaviour because she's keeping things from him um, and she bides her time. That's what she does.
4: A larger than life guy uh, and yet a guy with heart and, and I think uh, in his own kind of way, a kind of um, a caring man. But he's, you know, it'll be grand, you know. know it'll be great. We'll have a great time, you know. And I, I kind of like that. It's a good play.
2: I've never done a Bernard Farrell play before. I've been aware of him, obviously, for all of my career. And before I started acting full-time professionally, I worked in theatres and, you know, there'd always be a Bernard Farrell coming through, Happy Birthday, Dear Alice, or I do not like the Dr. Fell, that kind of stuff. So they're always crowd-pleasers.
3: When I read this script... First of all, I think it has the sweetest revenge I have ever come across <laughs> in a story. It's perfectly constructed. It's a cracker of a piece. Like the words fly off. You can imagine the situation, the people, of the, the characters. But I felt that the relationship between the couple, it's it's so beautifully nuanced. You get the interior and you get the exterior. So like the private and the public viewing of it because you have their intimate scenes in the car and also in the therapist's room, but then you see how they're like in the wild as such. And I suppose I was thinking recently about how during lockdown, there is a tendency... Of we're become not that we're becoming more voyeuristic, but people are fascinated by relationships and you know, by other people's relationships, and perhaps we're dying for a bit of gossip and a bit of oh, not everyone's life is so perfect. Um, and you know, you get TV shows like Married at First Sight or things like this, and this piece is, I think, tapping into that little voyeuristic kind of thing that is that is true to to society at the moment.
1: Well, Jackie is a, a senior gentleman. I, I've had to age up by at least a year for this, but um, he would be—he's um, been married for forty years, so he's no spring chicken—and uh, he's bringing his his wife on a, a special anniversary wedding anniversary treat, and uh, therein lies the, the main meat of the piece because uh, we think this is a seemingly uh, nice surprise for his wife on her wedding anniversary but there's a, a slightly more sinister side to it which very often creeps into Bernard's work he's really a dark person <laughs> underneath all that simple comedy
0: Well I was delighted to get it played by Bernard I was in Stella by Starlight by Bernard Fowler when I was only 21 And that was not today or yesterday. Um, And I haven't done a Bernard Barrow play since then, so it was just lovely to get another one. And it's got all his trademark wit and silliness, which is so enjoyable um, for actors and audiences. I think what audiences really love about Bernard's work is that it's just so funny and Quite silly, and they're all, the characters are always these kind of heightened versions of Irish characters. So you'd recognise them, but they're like a slightly heightened and, and slightly funnier version than any you might know, which is really pleasurable. Like, if you've ever been in the audience of a Bernard Farrell play and listen to the howling laughter all around you, you'd know that.
4: When I read the play at first, I was drawn straight into it. And it was one of those scripts that I'd, I'd read four pages and then I'd go back and I'd read them again to make sure that I that, what, have I got all of that now. Because there's there's always the hint. I think that there's a lot more to her that actually appears on the page. <laughs> Do you know, and, and and that's the joy to an actor. That that's what makes our job the great job that we love.
2: Well, when I first came to Dublin, I remember I applied to Trinity College, but it was a bit expensive back then. That was ninety, and uh, so I went to Colossal Dulig instead and did a year there. And then afterwards, I came out and I worked as a kind of, I suppose technically manager type thing in Andrews Lane Theatre. So Red Kettle did a few of their shows back then, some Bernard Farrell's, Happy Birthday was a a favourite. And then in about 97 I went to Trinity and studied acting properly then.
3: I got into this business when I was in T.Y. And my father was at a bit of a loose end with me, hanging around with my friends too much. And I... Started doing some drama classes at, uh, at the Gaiety School of Acting and I just fell in love with it. Yeah, I've been doing it ever since. I, I studied uh, at Trinity when there wasn't an acting course. The, the Trinity course had just, had just finished, sadly, and the Lear was on the horizon, but it wasn't an option. So I studied drama and theatre studies first of all, and then I went to the Lear when it was when it was opened.
1: Well, I was born in uh, what they might call a skip, or <laughs> that's not the skip you see on the street, a costume skip. I was the fourth member of my family to be born and brought into Radio Erin when I was about six or seven to do radio plays whenever they needed children. So were all my siblings brought in. So we kind of supplied the Radio Erin rep with children, Whenever my mother wasn't playing a child herself, Daphne Carroll was her name, and um, it was a, a quite an interesting grounding in meeting the world of the great radio actors of the fifties and sixties.
4: I got into this business. Um, uh, it's it's first of all Miss Foley in school, in uh, High Babies, in the Oblet schools in Inchicore, and she tied me to the desk when I was five or six in High Babies, because when she turned her back to, to draw on the board, I was turned around and conducted the whole class. Do you know, I was waving my hands like that in the, air, in the air. And 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 that was
2: me. Well, it was good fun working in Anders Lane, but, the, you know, at the time, the shows got on a lot easier, which was positive, you know? Stuff could get done. And I, I actually produced and directed a show in there uh, and acted in a, a, a play called um, Bloody Poetry by Howard Brenton. And people like Pat Moyle and all that would facilitate you to do things like that. Now, to put a show on now would be a lot harder. It was still a period when you had studio theatres and you could do stuff like that. And we kind of don't really have as much of that anymore, which was a bit of a shame.
3: At the time, I didn't get enough points to, to get into drama. Um, They're quite high up. <laughs> and so I did Italian and film studies for my first year. But on the side, I became a very active member of Players Drama Society and I was doing plays every week.
1: I went into the uh, lift in the GPO and I emerged into this world of pipe-smoking gentlemen and uh, an interesting world for a, a six or seven-year-old to go into. And uh, I used to get paid a pound for a, a play in those days and ten shillings for a repeat. So I, Monster and Leinster Bank, I was just regularly getting lodgements from me into my little account. And uh, the, the greatest one of all, of course, was if you did a Sunday play. Now, the Sunday play was live, so it frightened the life out of me.
4: But you did get £2.10 shillings for doing that one. So they were well worth <laughs> enduring. In 1961, a great thing happened in Ireland and a great thing happened inside Brian Murray, and that was the television started. We didn't have the money to have a television for the first maybe six months. Um, because telly rents and those kind of things hadn't quite arrived yet and that's not me playing being poor that was the, that was the fact of the matter we were the last people I think my mum's my, my two elder sisters and brother had got television and I used to watch it when we'd go up and we'd visit them it was always I hope we get a television sooner than we got one and then I, I would stand up looking in at the screen like that at that age looking at it and then a thing called Tolcaro came on in black and white and in Tolkerow was an actor called Jimmy Bartley and I remember standing as well as if it was only five years ago, standing, looking at it and saying to myself as I was watching it, pointing at the screen and saying, that's what I want to do. Didn't want to just be an actor. I wanted to be an actor on television like that. And I'm working with Jimmy Bartley now, kind of in, in Fair City, in RTE. So the, the, whole, the whole thing makes absolute geometrical sense, if you know, if you know what I mean.
3: I did costume in my year in between. So when I was at Trinity, uh, I, I did acting, of course, but it was very small hours, practical hours. And the other thing that I loved was was costume. And so I ended up doing my advanced costume project. That was so I specialised in costume and acting. Um, and then in the year in between, when I was auditioning, I ended up getting a job as a dresser in the gate,
1: Yes, I joined an advertising agency when I left school and I was being groomed to be a junior executive and that lasted about 10 weeks and I got a play from Chloe Gibson in RTE on television and it was in black and white, so that's how long ago that was. And uh, I went to lunch uh, on a Friday after getting my £5 from the advertising agency and I never went back.
0: Um, The last year has been strange. Well, how do you even put it into a few words? Like, I... I think I have a lot to be grateful for. That's for sure. And having a family and and being here. And thank God no one's close to me has been sick so far. So I think it's been a time for counting your blessings. And, and I was lucky too because I've been quite busy. I've been writing and directing a bit. And I had a few shows on last year. A few shows that were postponed. And um, I directed a show with my partner, um, Looking for America, a really excellent piece that's hopefully going to go out and tour next year. We played as part of the Theatre Festival in October and I directed a show called Pure Mental with Keith Walsh, formerly of this parish. And that's been postponed because of Covid, but hopefully happening at the end of the year. So, yeah, I was busy.
4: They knew that I wanted to be an actor. They knew that I wanted to do all of that stuff. My mother's uh, two brothers, Harry and Paddy, were electricians. And she said, look, I know you want to be an actor. We've no idea how you do that. And I don't know why the name is the sacred how did you is you want to be an actor. <laughs> That's the way my mother would say it. But you go ahead. But in the meantime, you're going to have to get yourself to try it. Now, the funny thing was, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be an actor. Because I went and... I went out with, uh, I went to work for a man called Peter Earl Kerwin in Cabra, Cabra West. Two or three or four or five weeks later, the man who delivered all the stuff to us, the waven and the cables and and all of the rest of it, um, Dick, Tutor was his name. He would come around in the van and he came around in the van to where we were walking this, this day out in Cabra changing the metres for Peter Kerwin. And he said, oh, by the way, Paddy Brennan said that you have to get in touch with him because he has a piece of information that he thinks that you might be interested in. And I said, what, what, what did he say? He said, he said it's very important. He said, just tell Brian Murray who's next in the office to stay and we have to, we have, to have a conversation. So that was fine. Long story short, having a conversation with Paddy Brennan, he said, um, I just read, he said, in the Matter Day Community Centre in Cabra, he said, a very good friend of mine, he said, is a member there. He said, somebody is coming from the Abbey Theatre, he said, to do something, he said, here with, with, with teenagers. He said, it's Wednesday week, and I thought you, you know, wanted to be an actor, you know? He said, I thought that you might like to, 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 to think about it. And I said, Paddy, that's fantastic.
2: This time last year, I was doing Hamlet in New York with uh, Ruth Nega and Owen Rowe and many, many other people that you'd know with The Gate, which had been a transfer. And so we went from, you know, 500, 600 people, whatever it is, a night, every show. The show was sold out before we even left Ireland. So we had two months of a sold out show. I think it was iconic. Uh, uh, Hamlet was already iconic, but Ruth, who's just such a fabulous actor, who I was in college with, actually. Ruth playing Hamlet, a young uh, Ethiopian Irish actress playing Hamlet. And for a lot of people, that was something they wanted to see. And they came to see it. It was it was great. It was a great experience. Full audiences. A lot of names you'd recognize. <laughs> uh, lots of people. Lots of people. We had, I mean, every actor in New York came along to see it. We had, uh, uh, who do we have? We had Richard E. Grant. We had Forrest Whitaker. We had James Franco. We had a whole bunch of uh, actors. I remember Graham Northam came over with Zadie Smith, which was pretty cool. And so to go from that and then come back and we went right up to the 9th of March and then they shut everything down. So we didn't suffer. We we finished our run. But to come back from that to empty streets and, you know, so how's it been? Different.
0: Yeah, uh, well, it, it was such a kind of like a gear change is the right. Term really because it was like a real swerve, wasn't it? It kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, everything was different. And I think, like most people, when it all first started, my focus was on my family and my child. Like most of my anxieties were around him and him being able to be social and stuff. And then, as it goes on, then you do start to miss the things that you kind of took for granted like going to the theatre, like being social, like being easily physical with other people. But I suppose we've had a year to adapt now and there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and we're just all tentatively coming out of our little uh, burrows (laughs) and into the light.
1: Um, I was in the Abbey for about eight years, which was the greatest grounding any young actor could get because it meant you did about four times the amount of work that a freelance actor would do because you were working all the time. You rehearsed and then you played and then you rehearsed the next one. and you. So it was quite busy. I mean, once they found I could act, they worked my ass off. So that, I was very grateful for that. And it's an opportunity that's denied young actors today. It's a great pity. I think uh, the legacy of Great Irish acting is is being lost because there are great Irish actors coming through. Uh, there's plenty of young talent, but they're not getting the continuity of experience that you need when you're in your twenties because they're the building blocks for the rest of your life. And uh, we owe our young actors a bit of that continuity back again. I think you at some stage were working with the best actors and writers in the country and indeed outside of the country. But I worked with you know Cyril Cusack and Ray McAnally, who was one of my great mentors, and. Uh, donald mccann you know all the best came through the abbey at some stage so you got to work with those wonderful actors as well as the great writers like uh, like bernard farrell of course and hugh leonard and uh, the comedy side of things brian Friel, tom murphy um the great writers of my day certainly frank mcginnis they're all people who are around the the abbey and uh, and Pinter, then up in the gate, I, I got to work with Harold, and then I got the, the Beckett experience up there. I didn't actually meet Sam Beckett, but I uh, he knew we were what we were up to. Um, so it's been a it's been a pretty uh, interesting ride so far.
3: So Maid McHugh is fantastic playwright, and she was two years ahead of me. Now we'd crossed paths, but you know I didn't know her so well. But she actually ended up. Adapting for a stage, Louise O'Neill's Asking For It, which was produced by Landmark and uh, in collaboration with Annabelle Cummin, who was the director for the piece. And I was cast in it. I played a character called Zoe. And it was one of the most special shows I've ever been part of. There was Lauren Coe, played Emma, the lead. There was Ali White, Frank McCusker, Paul Meskell. um Frank Blake, yeah. So we we premiered it in in two thousand and eighteen in Cork Midsummer Festival, and then it went with the wonderful Julie Kelleher and we went on then to. To the Abbey, and then the Gaiety, and then to Birmingham to Birmingham Rep, and then, for example, Liam Heslin took over from Paul because Paul was off doing other things, (laughs) and um, you know, so we had Don Bradfield who took over from Ali White, and but there was there was there was a set of us that were all the that were from the original, which was great. I think we got to show number eighty five when we were in Birmingham, Um, so. You know, we have been through through a lot together. Um, yeah.
4: The Irish RM then came in 1982, 83, and 84, and I moved to London then, and, and that went bananas. And then there was uh, the bill, and I went in uh, and I burned Sun Hill Police Station down, and uh, <laughs> I do all the good things, don't I? Um, and then and then Brad came along. Robin Nash was the man who said that he wanted to see me in the BBC. And anyway, I discovered that he had created Top of the Pops. He was the Top of the Pops creator. So I was desperate to see him because I was a rock and roller, I thought, you know. He he said that that uh, Carla Lane is mad about animals. She's a, a, a mad animals person. And her best friend is Linda McCartney. So Carla was coming in and, and telling us that, that this was going to happen. Linda was going to say... And then Carla came and she said, it's happening. And I said, oh, what's happening? And Robin said... Really? He said, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. He said, Paul McCartney is going to be in an episode. And I thought, oh, dear God. <laughs> that's fantastic. So anyway, um, I was in for the same week that Linda was in, that Paul was coming at the end. And she hadn't done any acting. She, had, she was just doing it for Carla's sake. So all during this... I didn't know where to put myself and then it started to come out about the Beatles and and it's Paul in when is he coming in so, and I said so and so, so, and, so. And, and she said something which I shall never forget and I said I'll be so excited to see Paul she said don't you worry she said I only met my idol Smokey Robinson last year she said and I would no idea what to say to him she said so I'll take care of you Paul's latest album was an album called Press to Play, which was out at that particular time. And she said, have you got Paul's new album? And I said, yes, I do. I said, I don't think that the single that he's taken from it is the best track. She said, oh, really? I said, yeah, It's Not True is the best track on the album. I said, I think people agree with that. I said, but he's using Press to Play as the, the, the single from the album. She said, I don't believe this. I thought we're in a problem here. I said, what? She said, the whole of MPL... McCartney Productions Limited told him that you can't use Press to Play as the single because it's not true as the best track and she said but he's Paul McCartney he wrote them and that's why it's the single so <laughs> yes it, you know what's going to come up don't you so the Saturday or whatever it is the, the day that Paul is in that's fine and the next Paul is there she said Paul Paul here he is come over come over I want to introduce you to Brian he knows all the stuff and he thought that it's not true, should have been the single. And my idol, Paul McCartney, who's smaller than me, and I'm not the tallest person on the planet, looked at me, and you know what he said? You're a cheeky lad. That's all he said. You're a cheeky lad. And I'm saying this to you now if I write a biography or if there's a biography written, that's what it's going to be called a cheeky lad. <laughs>
2: I've been a bit worried about the theatre anyway for a while because theatre is kind of like a microcosm of um, society in general when you see the, the huge separation in wealth between the, the wealthy and the poor. So in a way, there's been less space for theatre companies. And so there's either, it's either just young kids doing it for themselves, which is no way to make a living. It's, it's, inc- it's admirable and all of that, but it's not subsidised or the two or three main houses. There's only two now, I suppose. So I think the lockdown is an opportunity to reboot, to restart. Rather than to think of it in a negative way as, you know, a nail on a coffin. I think it's a good opportunity to reevaluate what it's for and to understand the value of it and support it, I suppose.
1: I think the business now is in a very interesting place. It, it, it in some ways feels like it's at a crossroads because So many things have fallen away from the business and yet there's still that driving force of talent and interest and um, experimentation that is probably the experimental side of it is probably stronger now than it's ever been. So that's a good thing and to be welcomed. But I just hope they don't throw out the baby with the bathwater because God gave us two good hands. One hand is to hold on to the past. The other, of course, is to reach out to the future. And we make sure we must make sure we use both of them
0: in a post-COVID world. It's hard to know because theatre has sustained itself all this like millennia, and even with like television and film and all those things coming in, theatre still has always had an audience, albeit like it's never been as popular as as many other art forms, or even maybe as accessible. But some of the digital work has been really interesting because I was surprised and interested to know that they often reached wider audiences than they would have in a theatre. So I hope that maybe that has made people value theatre more or made them feel that it is something that they'd enjoy. And hopefully, maybe, perhaps that kind of accessibility will remain so it won't feel to some people like that it's an elitist endeavour or something, you know.
3: The also, the big thing is, is that I, uh, I have a theatre company called Chaos Factory. And we got Arts Council funding this year to do in development for a show called Hotel Happiness. And part of that uh, we are being mentored by broken talkers who I have worked with before as as an actor and I've I've always think thought a lot of them. Uh, I love the work that they make and the subjects that they that they tackle and the physicality they work a lot with with verbatim, but also with movement, choreography. So that is going to be, as soon as we can get back into theatres, we're, cons- we're writing at the time, we're at, the, at the moment. We is Fanula Gigax, and uh, Rachel Bergen and Danielle Galligan. Um, yeah, we have another session next Wednesday.
1: Yeah. Well, the theatre, unfortunately, is um, in the people gathering business. And as we all know, the theatre is the place where people go to cough. So it might be a while before that becomes cool for everybody to deal with. But I think, you know, all my life I've heard the theatre was going to be on the way out to television or to film or to whatever. And it's always survived. People love live entertainment. I always say that to people. Don't you love it when it's live? And they do. And um, I'm happy to stand up on the stage and listen to people cough if they're prepared to listen to me doing what I do. And uh, I usually win. When everything
2: finally lifts if it's not bled out over a long period of time too much, people will be very keen to be live shows and maybe they'll notice the difference now between you know, can we go and see a film or will we go to the theatre? You'll see why theatres, particular individual, special the oldest art form and needs to be preserved you know.
1: All the, all the theatres go through phases, I mean the, the, the Abbey is a poison chalice, it always has been and, and nobody's ever happy with what goes on in the Abbey but it keeps going and it survives and we must, you know, keep it on its on its game. But uh, at the same time, you must allow it to fail. The Gate is the same. It, it, it had that wonderful Edwards MacLeamore period and that came to an end. I mean, you could see it, it petered out, uh, which was a pity to see. It was better if it had ended earlier. And then we had the Michael Colgan era, which again, possibly lasted too long. I don't know, but it certainly completely reinvigorated the theatre in this country. And put production values way up from where they had been before that. So Michael set a new standard and uh, his enthusiasm and uh, imagination as a producer was unrivaled in his best years. And uh, I, I certainly think he's missed now.
3: Covid, I mean, as I said, I was lucky enough to actually do a play seems to be quite rare within the year that it's been that we had a live audience of you know 70 plus people we also did a Tom Murphy play as well on the outside and I it has also meant that I've been able to have opportunities that I haven't before for example doing my first radio play Um and I'm going to do a, a short reading um, of some Derek Mann poems Later on in the year, and I did a poem yesterday in Cool Park, back in Cool Park, for poetry series that uh, Druid are doing. So I was reading a piece by Elaine Niccolanon, and um, called the Architectural Metaphor. So I'd love, I've always loved voice listening to radio plays and pieces, and so I'd hope that maybe I could go into that, down you know, explore that territory a bit more. Being in a room with people like is the thing I've missed the
0: most. Like, like most people, I think who work in a public-facing job, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, just being in a room with other people, live theatre, live music, the kind of ease of that, and not even thinking about it. That that's what I miss.
2: I've done some work. I, I like it's 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 been tough. I mean, I did a TV series. I finished in October for a few weeks. Um, for the History Channel, the American History Channel, called Titans. It was called The Men Who Built America, but I think the men who anything right now, nobody wants to hear about the men who anything right now. So Titans, that's a little more gender neutral, Uh, which was good. I I think it's executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. He wasn't on set, didn't meet him, but uh, it's good to know he might watch it sometime so that was kind of fun and, uh, you know, there was a lot of masking up and social distancing and all of that. And But once, you know, it comes close to action, it's the same as it ever was, you know. So with with a lot of care and a lot of work, same as you do
4: here, uh, the work can still happen. It's just making sure that that happens. And then back home to Fair City, yeah. I, 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 it came up. And it came up to my agent that there's a, there's a part in, in Fair City um, that want to know, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And went over. I loved it. I love television. You know, I I, I, like, I like being on location. I like TV. I like being an actor. But I like being on stage as well. But there's something about TV that I'm kind of, that I'm, I feel at home in. Do you know what I mean? And I'm in it still, and Bob is still going, and people still think he's either a penny or he's or he's a good man. There's 50/50 for that. Do you know what I mean? So, so it's great, and of course it's great having you in it as well. So the two of us are in it, and and yeah, I I love it. I just love it. So you know, it goes on.
0: Yeah. So, but I I've been busy. Um, like I say, I was co-wrote and and directed the, the two shows last year, and I've started working on a new show with my great friend Nairi Eugenarsian. Who's uh working on a new piece called Lobsters? That's going to be broadcast from the Project Arts Centre in May. Um and that's quite exciting. Yeah, so we just finished a development week on that. And myself and Nairi have been working on a comedy series here for, for drama and one um, called Curtains Up. So we were working very hard on that. Buskin is right. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get that out uh soon. It's a it's a good little piece, I think.
2: I have a few. TV things that I'm hoping might work out but the the problem at the moment is until until it's actually signed and deal done you never know until the last minute if it's going to be postponed that people are going to hope that maybe they you know everything's going to lift soon so maybe it'd be better to wait for a few weeks or if people are going to go ahead so at the moment it's fingers crossed and uh, hope hope things start to open up a little bit
0: I think of the three things, I feel very lucky to have been able to do them all. Writing is a lonely profession, as everyone knows. And I think you're almost the most vulnerable there because that's your words out there uh, in front of an audience. So and it feels like a big responsibility. And I really enjoy directing. I love working with actors and I love working with designers. That's been such a pleasure to kind of develop a production together, you know, and be over all everything. Um, but I suppose my first love really is acting as well. Like I wouldn't want to ever stop that.
1: If you ask an actor what next, they've either got several Hollywood movies lined up, which they're very proud to tell you about, or they're looking into a black hole, and wondering, you know, it's the same black hole I was looking into all my lousy life. You know, here we go again. But um, you know, something always comes along, and you keep going and you keep optimistic and. Most of us in the acting profession don't ever think about retiring. We, you know, most people want to keep going till they're till they're really finished. And uh, but I'm i you know I'm a, a bit like Richard Burton in the sense that he used to say, "Oh, I don't think I want to be an actor when I'm seventy; it would be rather undignified," I think. And you know, I can understand that. That's uh, you do doubt yourself because you are at the end of the day doing dressing up and letting on, and that's a bit like children's games. Uh, we take it seriously and we try and reflect the more important aspects of society back onto itself and make people think cry, laugh, all that that has a great value and I'll never underestimate that but sometimes you do feel "Mm, maybe it's time to move on if I can move on I will I'll go on And in that
0: episode of In the Wings, we heard actors Stephen Brennan, Brian Murray, Janet Moran, Venetia Bowe, and Peter Gaynor talking about The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell. This edition of In the Wings was produced by Kevin
4: Reynolds. Drama on One.
3: Sundays at 8 pm. RTA.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.